You are tuned in to The Tea Side, a podcast where we talk total health, life lessons, and music. I'm your host, licensed therapist, doula, and music enthusiast, Tanya D. Now let's get into it. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Tea Side Podcast with your host, me, Tanya D. If this is your first time listening, welcome and welcome back to everyone else. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you consider sharing it so others can enjoy it as well. Today, I will be talking with one of my favorite guests, my brother, DeMarco. He is on in a more professional capacity today. We'll be breaking down some of the lyrics to Billy Joel's iconic song, We Didn't Start the Fire, and how many of the things mentioned in the song are still very relevant today. As you will hear, Marco is very passionate about this subject and his views are strictly his own. It is a longer episode, but a really great and important conversation. So I hope you listen to the entire thing. First, I want to thank today's sponsor, Audible. There are a few books Marco mentions in today's episode that you might want to check out, including Politics is for Power and Locking Up Our Own. I know finding time to sit and read can be tricky, but thanks to today's sponsor, Audible, it's easy to listen to audiobooks from anywhere and on any device. You can switch from your laptop to your phone to your tablet and pick up exactly where you left off. Just use my link, audibletrial.com slash Teesside to start your 30-day free trial. By using my link, you get one credit, two if you're a Prime member, good towards any premium selection titles that you like, which are yours to keep. You can also listen to the Audible Plus catalog all you want, no credits needed. It has podcasts, yep, even mine, audiobooks, guided wellness, as well as Audible Originals. If you decide that Audible isn't really for you, no worries. Feel free to cancel. They will actually send you a friendly email reminder before your trial ends, and you get to keep the content that you've already downloaded. So go on over to audibletrial.com slash Teesside to start your 30-day free trial now. DeMarco, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your job. All right. Well, hello, everyone. I'm going to go by DeMarco D uh, for the moment. Uh, So my actual job, uh, what I actually do for a living, I work with uh, organization Metropolitan Congregations United, better known as MCU, and we our community organization. Basically, we organize congregations and people of faith. I also like to say that we organize impacted people to impact policy. We work on organizing uh, around certain social justice issues. And sometimes uh, we really want to make sure that we have a faith-based team uh, organizing uh, when it comes to getting congregations involved in some of the work around social justice. Uh, And we do believe that our faith uh, informs us of of what we should be focusing on. Uh, and when we are working with congregations and people of faith uh, who, who get in tune to uh, what power needs to be built in order to either either protect our values or correct uh, when, when, when our values are, are, are wronged or there's an injustice happening, uh, we recognize that we got to organize. We got And we organize impact people, like I said, to impact policy. Some of the things we organize around uh, is, the, is the school to prison pipeline, we are starting to focus on housing issues since there's so many different things going on with uh, housing because of COVID uh, and the nice amount of uh, people getting kicked out of homes uh, or in, even in places they're written, uh, evictions, a uh, nice amount of evictions are happening. So we're working on that, working on also, uh, I actually serve as the voter program lead. So my job is anything, everything, everything, uh, uh, civically engaged. So whether it's the census, registering people to vote, or even working on different campaigns to, to get across the finish line. Case in point, I recently worked on the uh, Prop R here in St. Louis City, St. Louis County, which actually provided more funding to the St. Louis Community Colleges. My role in that was to figure out where were the people who will most likely be supporting our issues uh, or supporting our, our, our campaign, and so what we call targeting. And then make sure that they got phone calls or even some door knocks or text messages to encourage them to go out and vote. And it actually won. So I was happy that it happened. So those are some of the, some of the many things that I do uh, when it comes to my to my actual job. Well, that was a lot. Was. 
but you know what? I like it. You're always doing something. You're always involved. And speaking of politics, one of the other things which actually got me a little more involved in politics is when DeMarco ran for Congress in 2018, I believe yeah, it was. 2017, 2018. Yeah, you know, 2020 threw me off. I don't remember any dates mm-hmm. anymore. So <laughs> he ran actually for the first congressional district here in mm-hmm. St. Louis against Lacey Clay, who's been the incumbent for 18 years at time and now and then 20 when he finally got unseated. And I was in the same race with Corey Bush. Yeah. So he ran against Corey Bush and Lacey Clay and Lacey Clay won. Then Corey Bush ran again and she mm-hmm. won. So finally, because actually Lacey Clay father was actually in the seat before him. I think it come up to 20 some years as well. Yeah. So We're close to it. Actually, that time in 2018, that was a very pivotal year for St. Louis because uh, Wesley Bell finally unseated the prosecuting attorney here mm-hmm. who had yeah, been in office for how long? Oh, he was besides too long, almost 20 years as well. So, yeah, that's one thing. This is when I actually was in the race in 2017, 2018, I actually pulled out of the race uh, mainly for a couple of reasons. But the main reason was I saw how divided St. Louis had become uh, after the uh, debacle of the mayoral race in St. Louis City. Uh, there are some people who unfortunately uh, uh, just divide up the votes. Um, and we'll, get, we'll discuss that in a second. Uh, but I saw how, how impactful that was, negatively impactful. And I recognized that Corey Bush actually did have way more media presence. Although I, although I had more individual voter, individual donors uh, than mm-hmm. her or Alexi Clay, uh, I recognized that uh, I, re- I realized I was going to need at least at least seventy five thousand votes to win. At least that's what I had planned on it, uh, and actually ended up being like needing probably closer to eighty thousand votes. Uh, but I realized that in order for me to go from what I felt when I had I felt like I had about twenty to thirty thousand secure votes to go from thirty thousand to seventy five eighty thousand with less than a month, I thought that would be pretty challenging, and I didn't want to pull out the race, uh, but I knew it would be best. Uh, for St. Louis, and I want to make sure that I, that that Corey Bush had a clear shot, and also to show that there were people who understood what needed to be done in the bigger picture. And I had planned on relaxing, recuperating, because I also was finishing a seminary and doing so many other things. Uh, I was planning on taking a break, but then uh, Wesley Bell actually reached out to me uh, and said that uh, he literally said, "Like, hey, we can't have you sitting on the sideline. We need you in the game." Uh, so he actually asked me to be his deputy campaign manager. Uh, and I was more than happy to, to to do whatever I could to get rid of Bob McCullough. Uh, yes. So for, for for personal reasons, uh, for many reasons, but definitely mm-hmm. personal. So I served I served as uh, Wesley Bell's prosecuting attorney. Now Wesley Bell, the deputy campaign manager. Right. Way back on the first episode, Marco recorded with me. I remember saying, "Yeah, Marco can get deep on you sometimes." So yes, yeah, oh yeah, we're going deep today. Which I, I remember time, saying, though. do have a good time. I know he's on another level. Me, not so much. I remember going to Jefferson City in grad school for what they call lobby day, where you go and meet with the different people in the House and the Senate to lobby whatever it is you're advocating for. And for me at the time, because I'm a social worker, it was more pay or better pay, equal pay for social workers. Because out of the female-led professions, like teachers, nurses, social workers, social workers get significantly less than teachers and nurses. So I went there and pretty much I remember getting back on the bus and I had a massive migraine. And I remember everybody saying, oh, wow, you did great. And I remember saying, before I closed my eyes and tried to make myself go to sleep was I don't see how people do this every day. I can't. I was so drained. I was emotionally drained, mentally drained, physically drained. I'm like, I cannot because the people there basically wanted to tell you why you were wrong. And I was like, no, because I've always been the person that's 
I can be objective. I can keep my personal opinions and feelings separate from what's going on. I can listen to what you're saying and I can have a conversation. But when the other person is not willing to have a conversation, it makes no sense to me. I remember I was kind of like an informal campaign manager when DeMarco ran for Congress. That was interesting. Learning as I went, which I think was part of the issue with the campaign. It was very grassroots, but very. I remember talking to these seasoned grassroots and weeds. It was okay though. We, had, we made it work though. We made it work. We made it work. You you did. Yeah. I remember telling Marco, look, don't put me on the front line. First of all, my facial expressions will speak for itself. Second of all, I have a zero tolerance for bullshit. It will not go over well. Don't ever put me up front to speak. But I remember talking to different politicians, we would go to these, you know, community meetings and the different candidates would get up and talk. And I remember one guy asking me, why is DeMarco running for Congress? I said, why wouldn't he? And he said, because he hasn't run for anything before. He should start local, maybe serve on a school board or something first and then try running for office. And I said, okay, why would he do that? First of all, He's already been in the community. He's done research. He's worked on campaigns. He's very familiar. Now, if you need me to argue a point, oh, I can. But Mm -hmm. basically, he wanted things to be the same. Status quo, do it this way, do it this way. And I just don't feel like that's necessary. Technically, the Mm -hmm. way things have always been is not necessarily how it should be going. And people don't like change, which is why there's so much pushback. But Mm -hmm. that brings me to the song of the day, which is We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. We're just going to break down some lyrics and talk politics kind of along the way. But a little history behind the song was he wrote the song when he was 40. He was in the studio. I think it was Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son. A friend of his had just turned 21. And he said, you know, it's rough being 21. Billy Joel said, yeah, I know. I remember when I was 21, it was hard. And the guy said, nah, back when you were that age, you were, you know, you grew up in the fifties and nothing happened in the fifties. So fun fact, Billy Joel was wanting to go to school to be a history teacher. So he knew all these things and technically ran down all the things that happened from good and bad. And he wrote a song we didn't start the fire basically it's like a chronological look at the different events from the time he was born it starts with harry truman you know when he was president Uh, from missouri by the way yes that's true and you know television was in there so it wasn't all bad things it was good and bad but the breakdown of the chorus says we didn't start the fire It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. So if you go through the lyrics, you'll see there's a common theme in a lot of them. And the crazy thing is, a lot of them are happening again or still happening today. And still very relevant. I mean, I mean, everything. So. As, as they say, uh, you know, this is biblical as well. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, but it's just a matter of how are we addressing certain things, how are we recognizing it, and how are we, like you said, how are we, how are we fighting it? Uh, and, I, and, you know, and I, I love that song for, for multiple reasons. It's definitely an iconic song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, it, 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 no, pretty much it was Hamilton, you know, before, you know, Lin-Manuel uh, created Hamilton. So it was yeah. great to be able to have so much history and, uh, like you said, it does require to because it sounds like it's just a bunch of gibber if, the first time right. hearing it. Uh, and I and of course, uh, and I think it came out with it eighty nine. Eighty. I think it was eighty nine. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I was eight, uh, and I was uh, even at eight years old by then. I was already recognizing. I already knew some of the the references, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, and this is one of the the tricky things about politics. Um, many people only think about politics, of course, when uh, like like you said, like Truman, you know, or super big stuff like different wars or 
things mm-hmm. of that nature. But we really don't look at people rarely look at how politics affect their everyday lives. And yeah. I think when people start and, I, and with the, within the song, I mean, the song literally has the word vaccine in it. Yes, that's what I'm you know? saying. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just again, like it shows you that how basically how things can be politicized uh, to where somebody makes it about politics. And like so we I mean, I mean, people are getting the are getting their kids vaccinated with measles and mumps and other things like that. For mm-hmm. ages, or I don't know how long, you know, but for a while. But now people are like, oh, no, now, no, no, I don't want now. And they even are saying like, oh, measles are coming back. Mumps are coming back because people are choosing how to get vaccines. Um, but then they also, there has been some some people, some arguments, right? And this one thing I also have learned that it's not everybody. And sometimes some voices are just louder than others. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're more correct. They're just louder. They have a bigger right. platform per se. Uh, but there are some people who say, oh, well, you know, we didn't have these all these uh, young people who had autism uh, before the day ages of vaccination. Uh, and the challenge with conflating issues in this capacity is that we also might not have just been able to recognize autism or the different levels mm-hmm. or the different scale of autism uh, right. or, or other issues that, that, that could have been happening. We just didn't have the science to understand it. Uh, so that's also one thing that we have to be mindful of. And, and again, children have are getting mumps and measles again. Really? Uh, which is yeah, which is amazing. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't even think of any classmates. Thought all the things we had to deal with as, as kids in the in the 80s and 90s. I don't ever remember one kid getting mumps or measles. No. You know, maybe no. migraines. Maybe migraines went because uh, they was feeding us. Uh, giving us two, three ketchup packets every day uh, <laughs> when the Reagan administration, when the Reagan administration said, uh, oh, we need more fruits and vegetables in our lunches, in our school lunches. Ketchup, there you go. Ketchup was considered to be a fruit and vegetable. And that's a true story, people. Look it up. Yeah, that was the thing. It was so interesting. Every verse, and keep in mind, when he said vaccine, that was in the second set of bars. I, because I've looked up what a lot of these are because there's way too many to look up. Yeah. But the older ones, I did kind of look up. But one of the interesting ones that I found was, you know, I think a lot of people have heard the saying, those who don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Yes. Turns out it was because in the song, it just said, I don't know how it's pronounced, Santillana, but it was George Santillana, a Spanish philosopher. He wrote in his one of his writings, he wrote the writing was called The Life of Reason, 1905. But he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That's what it where it initially came from. And, you know, Winston Churchill has said it even in the song. He's saying, if you don't know, you will repeat it. And again, they Mm -hmm. talked about vaccines. He talked about birth control. He talked about Bernie Getz, which some say is what started the conversation about race back in the 80s in New York. Mm. because Bernie Bernard gets he shot four black men on the subway back in 1984 and mm. basically it was the guys were one of them came up and asked for I think maybe some money basically where this guy lived he was like an engineer so technically he had money pretty much his apartment mm-hmm. he had been robbed a couple of times so without mm. a permit he started carrying a gun one of the guys came up and asked him for some money not give me all your money. He just asked mm-hmm. for some money, you know, like people mm. do all the time now. Hey, you got some spare change, you know, you got a couple dollars. It seems like it was something like that. Basically what happened? The guy pulls out his gun and shoots him. Mm. Wow. And it was like December 22nd. And he got off the subway and went on about his business because I think he even said, to the one guy, he was like, oh, you look like you okay, and shot him again, which mm. then paralyzed the guy. So I don't know how old they were, but basically he was charged with minor things, like nothing like murder, like No, you can get away with it. Yeah, and pretty much. That, that was 85. He got off. The grand jury didn't find anything. Then the popularity of him started waning. So what happened? They came back and indicted him again with 13 charges which included some things you like attempted murder and all of that but the state supreme court 
throughout a lot of those charges. I don't know what what happened at the end, but that was mm. in like 1987. Oh, wow. Keep in mind, you also had the Central Park fight. So it was all kinds of stuff going on. It yes. wasn't new. It's mm-hmm. None of this stuff is new. All the way back when he, he mentioned Stalin, Joseph Stalin. And what did he do? He ruled by terror. You know, mm-hmm. he encouraged the citizens to um, increase their secret police. And he encouraged the uh, citizens to spy on other citizens. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. You know, yep. and he, he controlled the media and he was killing people who didn't do what he and that was way back in the 50s. So it's not new. Right. But people, especially this generation, they feel like whatever, ain't no big deal. They're doomed to repeat it. Yes, they're louder. They're like, you know what? Whatever. We have zero tolerance because they have that more entitled mentality, which can be good, which can be bad. But you still need to know the history. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I think I think that's not, so. When I'm talking about again politics as well, you're absolutely correct, uh, Tanya. Especially in the realm of understanding history, like I I remember being in learning history in in, element, in elementary and mm-hmm. in, in middle school as well as in high school, uh, even in college, and it was boring. Like history, mm-hmm. I feel I I, get, I I feel right. I feel that they make history boring intentionally almost because. <laughs> Because when you when you actually do learn history and, and hopefully unfiltered history, I, I I bring us into this now. Uh, when we are able to learn, just like literally like I forgot what show it was just the facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we learn just the facts about what happened, not the emotion behind it, uh, but understanding that there are humans involved mm-hmm. in this. Uh, the way I got involved in politics was learning engineering. In engineering, we say the word system. Is an acronym for save yourself some time, energy, and money. S-Y-S-T-E-M. Save yourself some time, energy, and money. So when I came home and was interning at a at a at a company where they where I was either saving the company a million dollars or making the company a new million dollars or whatever, I would have to drive through different neighborhoods in St. Louis to get to work and then come home. And sometimes I would spend like 10 hours there a day. Uh, so 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 spending 40 to 60 hours a, a week at this building making this company somebody else wealthy or rich and i remember driving through certain neighborhoods black neighborhoods neighborhoods that i grew up in neighborhoods that i spent time in and i was and i started asking myself who is saving time energy and money with this current education system legal system healthcare system insurance system police system and i realized it sure wasn't us. It was not mm-hmm. the people who were living in these communities. It wasn't wasn't my family, wasn't my friends. And I just started asking, okay, I need to find out who is in control of these systems. And I think that's one thing that pushes me to stay engaged and stay involved in politics. Cause there are like we can, we yes, I think we definitely should look at systems or systematic racism and systematic issues, but there are still people involved in these systems. And mm-hmm. so I figured that if so, and I, I and I often say, if we can't change the policies, then we got to change the people who can change the policies. That often that often is the headache. That often mm-hmm. is the the heartbreak and the frustration. That is often the thing that keeps the fires going. When instead of finding people or having people who know how to put the fires out, uh, so so we do need more social workers going to Jefferson City having discussions, having conversations with these politicians, because, hey, I'm going to be 100% honest and clear. We have some, uh, we have, there are some very intelligent, smart people who are politicians. Uh, one I'm thinking of right now is Representative Rachel Prouty. She literally has a doctorate in education. So when they talk, start talking about education or anything that's involved in schools, there's very few things you can tell her. Mm-hmm. Can't say that for everybody else. I can't say that. This is, some people, politics is probably their best job. For some people, is like is is their family. Uh, mm-hmm. there are, that's why we had like we told you we just got, got, got done talking about the clays, and it's nothing wrong with that as long as you're as long as they are learning and actually doing a better job than their parents did. Uh, right. As, 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 as if like you know our father was a civil servant and it's all said and done. 
if mm-hmm. we didn't learn to to like so and and like he was a firefighter firefighters have a high level of ptsd even and this is before this is even not even including things he experienced while at war but just at work uh if we didn't learn to do self-care better than our father did and right. how to be you know if we didn't learn that then we're not gonna be better civil servants than he was so you know i, I just want people who are who, who feel like this is their family occupation per se to learn from the families and unfortunately they don't do that they don't do that all the time either or they just do the same things and like you said earlier some people don't want things to change because they actually are benefiting from the system mm-hmm. uh they are benefiting so there are black people who benefit from the downfall and demise of black people and that's yeah. a hard thing to articulate sometimes it's a hard thing to express uh because they you know any other any of the sayings you know they drink kool-aid all that stuff you know, and I can say this because I've actually had conversations with people. I can actually discuss things. And this is where I don't get headaches. I usually can break down pretty quickly where somebody's coming from or, or what their politics may be, uh, whether they are liberal, conservative, or pragmatic, or things like that. And it's just a matter of how do they get things done? You know, I think it was uh, Harold Laswell, uh, who's who's been known, he, he has some clout up there. Uh, he, I think he wrote the book. Literally, he wrote literally wrote the book. Politics: Who get what, when, how? Mm. I like to add in the question why. And and when we start thinking about like even you take the example, any of the examples from the from the from the song, we can start the fire. Um, mm-hmm. he, he literally brings in Malcolm X, right? Yeah. He, in, in the song, we can start the fire. He says the name Malcolm X. Uh, you know, Malcolm X was a very political figure, although he like he never like really. He didn't trust politicians naturally, uh, and but Malcolm X was a political figure. And then when we even look at, let's just look at, let's just look at the death of Malcolm X, the murder of Malcolm X, the assassination of Malcolm X. There's been claims and people suggest that it was other people who were who were not directly tied to the Nation of Islam anymore, or they were a little more radical and all that. But when we look and we see and we learn more that they were still back, they were supported. They were uh, uh, had support of the FBI and the CIA. Like, mm-hmm. and this is one thing I even share with people, especially as a, as somebody who I'm 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 slow to call myself an activist, uh, but I'm but I'm all about that. I am about the action, so don't get it twisted. Uh, so when we look at like Malcolm X or Martin King or Medgar Evers or any of the of the ladies and the black women who were involved in, in the in the movement, uh, or even the Black Panthers, um, they had the full weight. Of, of the American government on them. Yeah. And that full weight of the American government put so much pressure, not just on these individual leaders, but also these organizations to where they just couldn't manage. So, you know, so again, we didn't start this fire. We didn't start this. And whenever, and whenever there's been some, some political gain by a massive amount of black people, we normally see a blow. We normally see something that a backlash. Oh yeah. Um, and it's interesting, uh, in, in the song, uh, Billy Joel says, Pope Paul, Malcolm X, uh, British politician sex, JFK blown away, what else do I have to say? Right. Uh, again, and we look at the different people uh, that were about advancing the, mm-hmm. the, the, the political realm for access for more people uh, to be able to, to work, uh, even, with the, even with the line, foreign debts, homeless vets, AIDS crack, like, Again, we uh, we're not, I'm not even gonna start on the crack epidemic. That's a whole nother story. Uh, but yeah, yeah like, because he does mention Reagan in here also. So yeah, right, that's, exactly. that's a whole issue. But it was a whole issue. I just gotta say this real fast, y'all. The the ability, the the the, the process to cook crack. Okay, I didn't learn how to do that until I got to college. All right, that is actually like it's it's a, it's, it's no because it's a basically it's, it's a way to extract. The certain oh, certain that's right. From something my, else. my fault. You went to school for chemistry. My bad. Yes, I'm like, so I have minor in chemistry. Right? <laughs> I have minor in chemistry. So this, so this was not high school. This was not middle school. Okay. So the process in order how to cook crack requires somewhat of a college education. Now, some way somehow, that education got passed down and spread out throughout the hood. Listen, y'all. This is how I know certain things are set up right. Like, ain't no way that. Ain't no way that young black kids who barely left their neighborhoods during right. the crack era ever learned how to do that process. 
Mm-hmm. Like unless somebody went to college. Okay. So it just lets me know. And then we then go through, again, like the, the war on the war on drugs, all that stuff was a there's so many books that explain how it was all racist and all that stuff too. And how people who got caught with crack rocks got more time than people who had way more powder substance, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So please, y'all do the research and just know that we are often being played. And unfortunately. Uh, again, even that, one of my favorite books is Locking Up Our Own, which basically was a book about how Black communities say, yes, police lock up these drug dealers. Yes, they are our sons. They are our nephews. They are our children. Please lock them up. And they came from churches, from, from clergy, from, from mothers and fathers, because the crack was so depressing and oppressive. You know, we just have to be mindful. So again, you know, we ain't got to drink all the Kool-Aid. We got to put the Kool-Aid down. Yeah, and lead a sugar along too. Yeah, and it was interesting because, to be honest, it's all about money and power. Yes, and that's technically what the country was founded on. But he's talking mm-hmm. about payola, and I know what payola is. I wanted to know what it meant in reference to this song, so I looked that up, and it was interesting because basically it was the. DJs getting paid to play records and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it said that the hearing started back in February 1960 about the pay to play in radio. And it was a DJ out of Boston named Stan Richard who testified saying that basically that just seems to be the American way of life. And he said that it's primarily built on romance. I'll do for you. What will you do for me? And according to history.com, which is where I looked it up, that statement right there prompted President Eisenhower, of all people, to weigh in and condemn the practice. Like, okay, well, wait a minute. But he's like, that's American as apple pie. What? That's what everybody does. And technically, that's true. People Mm -hmm. do it now. People get paid. And I'm still trying to figure out that's going to be a whole different thought process on my own of because I've wondered before how are we legalizing the lobbying like that how is that okay yeah. it's not but it's anyway. not it shouldn't be I'll tell you how and why unfortunately I mean it's, it, again this is part of politics though so in 2016 2017 there were many Missourians who actually got together and organized and we we organized in the realm of collecting signatures for a ballot initiative which was called Clean Missouri at the time. Mm-hmm. Clean Missouri had multiple aspects to it. Long story short, it was to limit the amount that a lobbyist could spend per day on a politician. And, mm-hmm. and we actually collected signatures. People across Missouri said, yes, we want this and voted yes on it. And the what the limit was, we can't you can't spend no more than $5 a day on a politician. So you want to influence them because people were, and this is, this is something that, even Republicans and Democrats in Missouri were saying they did not like because there were there were whether it's a utility company or a big pharmaceutical company uh something like that would come to Jefferson City and that's a whole, let, let me just say this real quick people our politicians don't make that much money uh, exactly. I actually make more money than I think a state senator right mm-hmm. now and I'm a community organizer and I don't get paid that much right <laughs> like you're right. a social worker you probably get paid more than a state senator right now. Yeah, because I is, used to work for the state. I got the blue book because yes. the state employees, their salary is listed in the what right. they call the blue book, which is like is a blue cover. Yeah. And then and, and often they have to they have to have a main residence where they live and mm-hmm. then they also have a residency wherever the capital is. Uh, so, I mean, it's a lot of different things. Uh, and, and they do get up like per diem. The difference is they have access to change policies, which right. is the difference. That is a lot of power. So therefore, if we have politicians who, who are trying to figure out how to balance two households often, uh, also balance an office with, with employees, uh, making sure they still for getting with constituents and all those different factors, and then somebody say, hey, we got this steak dinner for you. Like, <laughs> yes, like, yes. What, what, what are we talking about tonight? Like, what are we mm-hmm. listening to, right? And there were there were people who had, who had shared testimony. There were, political or elected officials who said yes they would they would send a party bus for us they would give us a certain amount of drinks on the bus we would get off the bus and have a at least a hundred dollar steak dinner uh, and then they would you know do other things as well and this would happen at least two nights out the week 
Mm-hmm. So, so it definitely was a problem. We actually, but, but unfortunately, uh, after, after it passed, we recently, just in 2020, we had uh, some other legislators who came and, mm-hmm. and undid a nice amount of the work. And that was very frustrating. It is, it is very irritating. Uh, and it is, sometimes it does make me feel like I want to just give up and or uh, just just start uh, bringing back duels on, on the front lawn of the Capitol uh, where, like, you know, for those who haven't seen Hamilton, uh, <laughs> they, they actually did some duels, uh, re- reenacted certain duels that, that played out in history. Uh, so I was like, yeah, because this is ridiculous. Like, and I even, I even recognized that. I was like, yeah, I still might have a little too much, I don't want to say street in me, but maybe just, I don't know, just some things like, like you, like my sister said, like, it's just frustrating. It makes you, it's challenging because there are certain people, certain politicians who, who definitely uh, find themselves in positions of power and find themselves in positions of influence and unfortunately allow their self-interest to be more mm-hmm. selfish than, than more of a communal self-interest. Yep. It's just frustrating because to me, I'm registered as a Democrat. I don't consider myself a Democrat, though. I feel like I'm more of an independent. I don't like labels. You know, oh, you're a Republican. You're a progressive. You're a Democrat. You're independent. Why can't I just be for the things that I want? Because everything has to have a label. But regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, you know, per se, Mm -hmm. people want the same things in general. It's Mm -hmm. when they look at labels, that's when they start to say, oh, well, that's what I'm labeled as. I shouldn't agree with that. Well, no, it, like you said, if the constituents are saying we want the minimum wage raised, they may not make minimum wage, but that don't mean they don't want the next person because to be honest, when you have people not making minimum wage and they getting evicted and all that, then you got to mm-hmm. deal with the homeless population. And it's a snowball effect. You know, it you is. got all these homeless people, but you mad because it's a lot of homeless people. But what are you doing to help exactly. the homeless? It's, it's, you know what? It is. And, and, I, and, and, I could and, talk and the all day. Some politicians, yeah, this, this is why some politicians don't help the homeless because they don't vote. They can't vote because they don't have an address and they don't have an ID. But right. if you work with to give people consistent housing so they can actually start getting mail, so they can go have an ID and then mm-hmm. they can actually vote, you know, so it's, it's definitely different things. And, and again, people benefit. Democrats benefit from people not voting as well. But it's just, you know, often is usually Republicans right now. And so that's something I share with people, too. Unfortunately, the, the labels come from a lot of different areas of our life as well. And this also is something I try to bring into people's understanding is like we we should be issue based when it's all said and done. Exactly. Issue based, right? So like I don't have children, but I care about what's going on in school districts. I talk to the teachers, I listen to the teacher. I look, I ask the superintendents to have meetings with them. I want to know what's going on in this school district because these kids are spending eight just like I was with that job, spending 8 hours a day with this school district. And mm-hmm. then they're coming back to our neighborhoods and communities. I want to, I, I like talking to parents too, but our kids are heavily influenced by what's happening in our school districts. Uh, and when we started mm-hmm. looking at some of our school boards, mm-hmm. we started looking at some of our school boards. And for example, there was one school board, the president of the school board was a man who had school aged children, but his children went to a private school. Now that doesn't you know, automatically say, oh, he, he, he'd be horribly terrible, but he's not invested in the same way. So mm-hmm. it's going to be, if I was a parent of that school, oh, I would have raised all type of holy hell. When we start focusing on the issues, we can start getting rid of the labels. And this is why I often talk about, again, impacted people. What, and, and here's the biggest challenge, Tanya. We don't real, majority of the time, people either don't realize or they don't know. Or don't show. No, no, or, you know uh, what? I was not gonna say it. I was. I know, you it, got though. to. You got to. For those <laughs> who know where that's, you know, if you know where that's from, put that in the chat. If you know where that that quote is from, or they don't care, right? Or they don't want to know. They don't want to accept the fact that they actually are impacted people. Right. It is hard for people to recognize and realize that, yo, this impacts me, and 
I don't even know where to start. So sometimes it's just easier for me not to be involved, not to be right. engaged. Uh, but it comes to, it has to be, it has to be enough people who are willing to recognize they're being impacted and organize with other people to have a mutual self-interest, uh, mutual self-interest, meaning that hey, I understand how this impacts me. And I understand how this impacts others in, that lives that live around me and my generation and even the next generation come. We didn't start the fire. It was already burning since the world been turning. But mm-hmm. what are we doing as a collective to put out these fires uh, so that's to me, that's that's the, the part where we have to work together. And I'll end with this, and this will be my like my last statement. As especially since I work with congregations, and I encourage people to politicize their righteous anger. Politicize their righteous anger. When I look in scripture and I saw how uh Jesus was so pissed off at what was going on in the temple that he turned over the tables in one story and, and, and another story, he like like developed some mechanism and started whip beating people up out the temple. Mm. What is it going to take for us to start beating people up out of these school boards, beating people up out of these home associations that still are, are allowing a redlining to happen? Redlining is saying, oh, you black, oh, you this, oh, you that, oh, you don't get no house, not in this community. What are we going to, what are we going to do to beat people up out of police departments who, who are no good? My our brother's a police officer. I want him to come home safely. But if there's some asshole, stupid, over cocky police uh, who who need counseling and therapy? Go get. I want them to get counseling and therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. But they make their job harder for my brother, who the, who is a caring police officer. Uh, so what are we going to do? Uh, so politicize your righteous anger. We have we have a right to be angry. And to me, this is where this is another reason why I love politics. I can tell a politician that like, yo, what you're doing impacts me. What you're doing affects my family. What you're doing, for example. Uh, we saw a bunch of rural, bunch of politicians saying no to Medicaid expansion, but the the money that the Medicaid expansion would have brought into Missouri would have actually saved some of the rural hospitals. Mm-hmm. And since the rural hospitals were not saved, then people from the rural areas got to come to St. Louis or Kansas City or, or Springfield or Columbia to come to their hospitals when dealing with COVID. And now our hospitals are full of people from the rural areas because they don't have hospitals themselves. This is now, now we in the rural areas got some mutual self-interest now. That's mm-hmm. how we have to work on aspects. And that's how I look at things. And that's how I bring, I bring the same energy into congregations and churches. And they'd be like, man, I don't know if we ready for all that. But at the same time, that's the same thing that unfortunately same, some St. Louis pastor said to Martin King back in the day. Hey, hey, we got these good jobs with GM. Hey, we got these good jobs at these plants and these manufacturers. Hey, Martin, Luther King, hey, don't come over here with all that. You stay over there with that. Um, mm-hmm. And now, fast forward, and all these years later, when these manufacturing jobs are gone, when when people are not um, going from from grade school to trade school anymore, <laughs> like right. now we like now we like oh snap, like we need to be organizing. And now the unions are heck, I, they get they getting weaker too. Churches are getting weaker. Unions are getting weaker. We got to politicize our righteous anger. Uh, so that's what I look forward to uh, because the fire this time, the fire next time. That's that's I think about that. It's, it's the the world, <laughs> the fire is still burning. So it's up to us to figure out not just how to put a fire out, uh, but but sometimes what needs to be set on fire. There you go. I believe it was Tamika Mallory. She put Target out there. <laughs> yeah, when George Floyd, she was like, "Burn it down." People were like, "Oh my God! Whoa, whoa! Wait a minute." What do you mean? And I think that I think it was already burnt down. I think I mean, if I'm mistaken, I think I don't I think know, but yeah, no, no, that I was think really she, what she meant. But yeah, but what she's basically saying is we cannot get distracted by the value of a business that has insurance over the death of a human being, of a father, of somebody who still had potential in any capacity of life. We cannot mm-hmm. equate the value. So if that's what we have to do to get the, somebody's attention. Uh, you better hope we only burn down the target. You know, I don't think those, right. those weren't her exact words, but I'm just letting the putting more context around, right. around it. You better it was more so the it. meaning of what she was saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to put no charges on to me. Sorry to me. My bad. No, it's all good. I just saw her on August 9th. She was here in St. Louis. Okay, Forrest, you always <laughs> doing something, knowing somebody. She probably don't remember me either, so it's okay. So, <laughs> That's, well, that's okay. Yeah. Like who? And I called Marco Forrest 
like yes, for his dump because Ridiculous. tell you he always because again he's always somewhere he's always doing something i mean you know i talk to him on a fairly regular basis but i don't always know where he's at what he's doing because he's always doing something but i looked on facebook one day oh <laughs> he's out at the edmund pettis bridge oh okay didn't even know he was out of town you know i look on facebook what he's taking pictures with jesse jackson okay forrest you you always popping up in some historical event so yeah i call him forrest for sure whenever he tells me something that he did or somewhere he's been but i appreciate the fact that he's active because demarco has always been my mouthpiece because i'm a social worker we have great discussions but i'm not i can't i I don't have the mental energy to go out and advocate and not cuss you out. Marco has those dimples and, you know, he, hey, you know, he can, you know, he can go ahead and, you know, just be a little more of a calming presence, although he may not look like it, but he smiles. I don't just smile in general. So he's the one who will always be like, Hey, how you doing? And I'm like, hello. This is true. Big difference. Right. But we have great conversations and similar values. You know, the way he acts on them is just different for me. I've always said, especially, you know, when all this stuff in Ferguson happened, I was like, I never really thought I'd be living in the middle of the civil rights movement. But I'm not the one to be on the front lines. I'm not. Again, everybody has a role to play. That is true. People are out there on the front line. They're going to need some therapy. They're going to need a way to decompress. You can come and talk to me. Mm -hmm. If you need some support, some assistance, I can help you with that. But I'm not the over the top person. I'm a behind the scenes worker bee. That's more so what I do. And I'm comfortable with that. And I'm going to go all in. But Mm -hmm. Marco will go all in on being out front. You know what? Do your thing, bro. Do your thing. It's not me. You know, I I had to learn. I had to learn. And I hope everybody understands this as well. There's a difference between charity activism, advocacy, and organizing. I'm an organizer, and but I can, yeah. I can do charity. I can, you know, nothing wrong with that. And all four of them are needed. That's all I ask people to do is figure out where you, where is your position? Where do you play on this? Uh, and what type of changes do you want to see? What type of, how do you want to do? What do you want to do? What type of influence do you want to build? Uh, what type of power do you want to build? I think everybody can be powerful, is powerful. I am absolutely serious that we do need more people in masters with social, master social work and master public health uh, we need way more people. Those are actually people who really do focus on policy as well, who end, oh, up, yeah. who end up providing the information to legislators. Because again, some legislators, this is their best job. They, this is, they yeah. all legislators are not attorneys. They did not all. They did not go to law school. This is their best job uh, for some of them. Yeah, some of them I wouldn't trust with a blind dog. I, I wouldn't. They nope. Now tell so, me again, what are the the difference? Oh, yeah, is there's charity and organizer yeah. and activism and mm-hmm. or, uh, advocacy, activism, and, and organizing. Yep. And I got and I got that from the book Politics is for Power. Politics uh, is for power. Yep. Okay. Because it, it really talks about how a lot of people have political hobbyism. Like they feel like they're doing a lot around politics, but they just spending a lot of time on Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And how to how to get people to move away from that. Yeah. One of the stories that in the in the book that really just threw me off was that there's an organization in some of the rural parts of the of the country going around and basically knocking on doors in the rural areas and saying, hey, this opioid epidemic is not y'all fault. It's big pharmaceuticals fault. Uh, and it's the politicians fault who allow the big pharmaceuticals to operate that way. Guess what organization it was, Tanya? <laughs> what organization was it? The Ku Klux Klan. Mm. That's when in the world of organizing, like, who are you going to out-organize somebody? That's what we yeah. ask people when come to politics, too. Are you going to out-organize them? Right now, there are certain people being out-organized by the KKK. But here's the thing. Like, the message is the same. The opioid <laughs> epidemic is not their fault. It's not our fault. Neither was the crack epidemic, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't our fault. And who fault is it? It is the big, it is the politicians who are allowing the pharmaceutical companies to operate this way. I think we just saw the, the family that was the main producers of the opioid and the synthetic opioids just got mm-hmm. just got away. They just like they a billion dollar family. They was like, yep. 
yo, we, we ain't got to pay for none of that. Like, this is bigger than Nino Brown, Jack. This is big business. Right. Like, so in real life, you know, and so, yeah, so we so we actually have something in common, Ku Klux Klan. That's Love politics it. for you. You right. know, now, I think at one point in time, like Malcolm X or either the uh, Nation of Islam, at least at one point in time, had a had an agreement, had an understanding with the Ku Klux Klan. They're like, yo, y'all go over there and leave us alone. We're going to stay over here. Y'all ain't got to worry about us. If y'all come over here, that's y'all ass. If we come over there, hey, our bad. Like, figure it out. But, you know, separate. But I'm not saying we should be over here collaborating with Ku Klux Klan either. No, screw all that. Mm. Um, but it's recognizing that they are out organizing uh, certain areas. And then, unfortunately, if they start getting, oh, and this is the polarization. I think that's the thing that is pissing off a lot of people. Uh, and this is why I'm, I try to tell people, I try to get people to understand that to be very careful of being polarized. I even wrestle with that myself sometimes, making sure that I'm not just stuck on just one side of an issue, or at least not even be able to, or to not even being willing to understand the other side of an issue. Um, right. And recognize that there's more than just one or two sides. Don't get stuck in binaries. Um, that's why I don't, I don't like labels either. I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I serve on the Missouri Democratic Executive Committee, the Missouri Democratic Party, and I let them know, yo, I, don't get me, I'm not going to be all super gung-ho about Democrats unless I see some more action. Uh, but mm. then also I say, what can I do to bring about the changes I want to see in the world? That's, you know, and that's what, that's what I bring to being on the executive committee. I, there are certain aspects about Democrat, the, the Democratic Party. That's why people join parties, by the way, for those who listening, the, the, the answer to that question from earlier. Why do people join parties? Because there's organized money on the mm. national level that people can then get support from a, the, the national organization once they become the lead candidate in a race or the, the sole candidate in a race. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard to go against those, but now in the realm of social media, now in the realm, and again, we ask the question, or how are you going to out-organize people? Uh, that's where a lot of people are saying, oh, we're tired of the Democratic Party. Unfortunately, uh, well, I take that back. The People's Party, there is a, a party that's coming, that's rising up. The People's Party is, is making, some, making some noise. I wish Bernie Sanders would not have ran as a Democrat again, and because the same thing happened to him again, because he's not a Democrat in, in real life. Like, most people aren't. There are more independents than there are Democrats or Republicans. There's more independents. So mm-hmm. we got to, but we, us independents got to get organized and we got to figure out how to get our money organized in a way that is focused on our self-interest versus trying to maintain the party or right. keep the party, keep the party live, you know? So we got to do that. And, but unfortunately, black, uh, you know, and when it comes to black America, like we got to figure that out in a lot of other states, a lot of, uh, and statewide, I just want to share that uh, in Missouri, Black folks are 13% of the population, but about 5% of the voting population. 5%. Right. It's going to be real hard to get stuff passed just for Black people. It's going to be real hard to get stuff like reparations in Missouri may not happen, um, at least not within the next 5, 10 years. No. But, if, but if we can actually connect and organize and, and figure out what are the self-interests that other people might have, like there are there like there are some people who actually will definitely benefit from black people getting reparations. There are definitely people who are not black who will benefit from black people getting reparations. There will be people who benefit from that. We need to figure out who they are and like, yo, y'all need to advocate for this. We want y'all charity for the the put money towards this. We want, and we want to be able to pay the activists uh, and the organizers. That's how mm-hmm. all four of these things connect mm-hmm. together. Uh, this is how we get certain certain issues across the finish line. So yeah, so we got to find who who else want reparations for black people besides just black people. <laughs> you know, and I think that was one of the big reasons why your campaign didn't do as well. And I remember telling you then, they not ready to hear what you have to say. What oh, you're yeah. saying makes sense. Again, and I remember saying, it's not because I'm biased, because first of all, I'm the big sister. I'm quick to tell him when he wrong. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. I don't give a damn. Look, you wrong. Or I disagree. But what he was saying is so outside of the realm of the status quo, people seem like it seemed very radical. Right. A community gardener, because again, yeah. he was an engineer talking about going green and you know solar electric energy. Yeah. yeah, like teaching kids that, how to how to be involved and harness solar energy. Yeah, uh, it didn't make got, sense we, to them. Yeah. 
because yeah. they didn't understand it. And so although he didn't win, I think it was very helpful because he did a lot of education. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. Somebody had a private dinner, like just a couple of his friends, and they invited a couple of people over and he talked about his campaign and he started by doing the quiz. Like, you know, they have a lot of them now. It's very popular. The yeah. little online quizzes because of COVID, but it was a game and he made it fun. What is gentrification? People had no idea what it was. So basically he'd be able to go and talk about gentrification through, you know, just playing this game. And it was fun. And they, you know, had made tacos or something and had drinks. So it was a fun thing. So again, it wasn't that boring history class from, Mm -hmm. you know, elementary school. If people can understand it, they're more apt to be in line with it or feel like they have more, you know, a leg in the race. They like, okay, yeah, because I know what I'm talking about. I understand what you're talking about. I think it was interesting. They didn't understand the Oh, a congressman versus a senator yeah. and who did what? So, yeah. you know, he, Local, he state educated rep, them. Yeah. Statewide, yeah, all that. U.S. rep, all that. Yeah, there's a difference. And there's a reason as well. That's just, I think I just want to let people know. There's a reason why these positions actually exist. It's a matter of will the community hold them accountable on why they exist? Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's a challenge, but it can be done, though. Yeah, so on that note, I'm going to end it because we've been talking way too long you gotta chop this up too. Yeah. Again, we didn't start the fire. Mm-mm. We tried to fight it, but what are you doing to fight it? Are you just talking or are you attending these community meetings? Are you doing something to educate yourself on these different topics? People only focus when it's the presidential race. I mean, you have to start locally because a lot of people who start local end up running for the higher offices. Technically, they got a precedent. If they started out one way, they probably not going to change. If they started out not being involved in the community, probably you won't really see them being involved. Corey Bush was active during Ferguson. She was active in the St. Louis community. So when she got to Congress, she's still advocating for the people. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, she's doing something new. She's different. She's trying to get on board with so-and-so. No, that's just how she is. That's what she does. And we need more people like her. And honestly, one of my favorite people, Katie Porter, she's going to come for you and she's going to be educated about it. And you're not going to be able to say anything. Problem is the people we have in Congress now aren't pushing the envelope or holding the people accountable. They know it's wrong. They'll say it's wrong and say we need to do something about it, but they don't. And that is where I have the biggest issue. Then get the fuck out. Yep. I mean, do something or not, but Mm -hmm. allow people to come in instead of trying to retain your power and not do anything about it. But anyway, see, politics gets me upset. I can't talk about it that long. That's why I let Marco do all the talking because he's well versed in it. That's what he does. So, and we need you to politicize your righteous anger too, Tanya. Politicize your righteous anger. <laughs> you don't do, yeah. do nothing else. You don't take nothing else away from this. But politicize your righteous anger. Yes. So, go yeah. ahead. If you have questions for Demarco about politics, please let me know. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to answer them for you. He might get mm-hmm. long-winded. I might have to break it down for you, but he'd be more than happy to explain some things to you, talk about some things with you. Um, if you disagree, if you agree, let us know. Go ahead and send me an email. Leave me a comment. You know, head on over to the teesidepodcast.com. You can even leave a voicemail. I want to hear from you all too, because you all have a say in everything that's going on in the world because you have the whole issue in Afghanistan. So it's not just the states. It's not just local. It's global. It's affecting everybody. Mm -hmm. So everybody has a say. Agree or disagree. I want to hear from you. So I'm going to keep trying to fight the fire. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Teesside Podcast. Be sure to follow me on your favorite listening platform so you get notified when new episodes come out. 
You can also connect with me on social media at T underscore side podcast on Instagram and Twitter, as well as on Facebook at the T side podcast. You can also head over to the website, the T side where you can leave a comment, send me an email or even a voicemail. I look forward to hearing from you.